from beautiful downtown Sacramento, it's time for Beach Blanket Fort Bingo! Beach Blanket Fort Bingo! Beach Blanket My name is Steven Spashney, and this is Beach Blanket Fort Bingo. I appreciate you stopping by. I really do. Got a great show in store for you. I've got Mr. Robert Crenshaw to hang out here at the Blanket Fort, and he'll be discussing his book, his solo career, and his time with his brother Marshall, of course. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode of Beach Blanket Fort Bingo. Beach Blanket Fort Bingo. Robert Crenshaw might be best known for drumming for his brother Marshall on four albums and numerous tours. There's more to him than just being Marshall's little brother. One of four boys raised in a great household that was always filled with music, Robert played in numerous projects with his schoolmates before joining up with Marshall and partaking in a great rock and roll adventure that took him all around the world. After leaving Marshall's band, it took more than a decade before Robert resurfaced with his 1999 debut solo album, full-length stereo recordings. The album featured musical assistance from many of Robert's lifelong friends, as well as musical collaborators that he met while playing with Marshall, including the Sponge Tones' Jamie Hoover, who went on to help craft Robert's next three full-length albums. Other collaborators over the years have included Bill Lloyd, Don Dixon, Marty Jones, Graham Maybe, Stuart Simon, and of course his brothers Marshall and John. Setting his music career on hold after his 2014 album, Friends, Family, and Neighbors, Robert focused on his autobiography. He initially envisioned the project as an audiobook, creating a unique experience that included original music, sound effects, and guest appearances by some of his musical comrades. Once that project was completed, Robert realized that he needed to also create an ebook as well. That project turned into a physical paperback. Now available in all three formats, My Mythological Narrative, A Rock Odyssey, is a unique look into the world of rock and roll. While there are plenty of stories about his time touring and recording with Marshall, the heart of the book is really about family and how support and love at home shapes the person that you were meant to be. Rock and roll begins in the comfort of your own living room. I was able to chat with Robert about his book and his solo career as well. While I was tempted to ask him many stories about his years with Marshall, I decided to focus on his great solo releases and the book. I highly encourage you to purchase my mythological narrative in any format you choose. As a special treat, Robert has allowed me to feature a short segment from his audiobook at the end of this interview, so please stick around for that. 
So sit back and enjoy the highlights of my chat with this great musician and author. Welcome to the Blanket Fort, Robert Crenshaw. talk about your book my mythological narrative a rock odyssey and your solo albums let's go back to the beginning do you remember the moment that inspired you to become a musician or was it a series of things that led up to that decision well you know i mean the first things that made me want to play drums i gotta say well you know like wipeout and stuff like that you know like because i'm old right so wipeout was a was one of those things where that, that that's pretty cool and then also uh bits and pieces by the dave clark five that was a real you know motivator and then when i got this album called uh, happy jack by the who that was like that sealed the deal i mean i guess you know before that of course depending on how old you are if you saw the beatles on ed sullivan you saw guys having more fun than you've ever seen anyone ever have and it's like that is the job that you wanted you know it just wasn't one thing and then another aspect of this thing is just like really i had sticks and was playing around you know with practice pads you know with with Marshall playing the guitar and me beating on the practice pad. I mean, those are some of my earliest childhood memories. Well, you cover a lot of your childhood in the book. Uh, growing up with three brothers, uh, Marshall, Mitchell, and John, did you tend to like all the same music, or did each of you have your own personal favorites uh, with only a few groups in common? I would say that we all kind of had our own thing. I would say that Marshall had the most diverse because of the Columbia Record Club. And then also, I think that my parents had bought him a subscription to Downbeat. So, you know, like he knew about all these jazz records and stuff. But I mean, we, you know, it's like there was always albums coming to the house because of the Columbia Record House and then just people buying them. So he was like in the, you know, like listen to some jazz stuff. And I mean, we're like, even as a kid, you know, and, uh, you know, rock stuff. And then, you know, my brother Mitchell and I were uh, of an age where we used to pummel one another to decide whether or not we were going to listen to uh, Paul Revere and the Raiders records or um, Monkeys records. So that's where, we, you know, where we were coming from. And then, uh, you know, John always, you know, had like weird, you know, bizarre stuff that he liked, you know, <laughs> as well. He was a guy like who really liked It's a Gas, you know, by um, Alfred E. Newman, you know, that kind of stuff. <laughs> Comedy records. involved with music on different levels but how did it end up with you and marshall playing in a band together i mean was there ever an idea for a crenshaw brothers project you know when we were little kids you know my dad 
you know, used to talk about, you know, the, the, uh, the family band, you know, kind of thing, I mean, you know, just kidding, but you know, everyone played, I mean, well, you know, to varying degrees of, of success, how me and Marshall, I mean, we, you know, played together when we were little kids and then his band had a studio and a few times, you know, I went over to the studio and, and, uh, you know, played drums on stuff, you know, for him that he was working on. But the real thing was, you know, is when I was a senior in high school, I got a gig in an oldies band that played, you know, five, six nights a week, five, six sets a night. And Marshall had been in this band that was kind of like an Almond Brothers band. Not, I mean, that wasn't the style of music that I, that they played, but they had two drummers and an organ player and three guitar players. You know, it was a big band. And uh, that kind of collapsed on itself. And, and he, he managed, you know, to get into this oldies band, you know, with me. And at the time, it was like, I mean, you know, I went down to the Musicians Union and it was like that kind of a gig you know like the pay was real decent and uh you know for me being like you know 17 i mean i was probably making a couple hundred bucks a week and this was like in 1976 you know so for somebody that was like you know that's that was big money before things took off with marshall he'd record loads of demos some of which ended up on the nine volt years but two of them were co-written by you did did you normally submit songs uh for possible uh inclusion you know in the live set or on albums i moved to new york to go to school and then i moved back to michigan you know for a while and then i came back and uh, he was on the road you know with beatlemania and i stayed at his apartment for a while and his wife was there, right? So, you know, you know, I slept in the living room and just on, the, on their couch kind of thing. But he had a four-track um, TX uh, 3340S, you know, the, uh, you know, the muscle of uh, demo making back then. And I, I had written that song, Everyone's in Love With You, when I was still in high school or just got out of high school. But I made kind of a more serious demo of it on his four-track. And then the same thing with... Uh, She's not you. She's got a secret, but I could never find a clue. She's got everything I need that I want. She's not you. Well, I'll tell you, though, you know what? That song, that She's Not You, it was really written by two friends of mine. And I just kind of got, I was helping them, you know, because they didn't have a demo of it. And so I, you know, I started making a demo of it. And then, you know, Marshall just kind of liked those songs and, he, you know, he, re he recorded versions of them. And, uh, you know, I was thrilled. And on, and on that version on the nine roll years, it's me playing piano and Marshall playing drums, which was really fun. You know, I worked at this, I worked at a rehearsal studio and he brought, I think, you know, they had a Revox stereo tape recorder there. And then uh, I also had like a Naka, like a like a high end Nakamichi, you know, cassette deck and stuff like that. So we used to record, you know, in, in this case, you know, piano and drums, and then take it back to Pelham, which is where we lived, Pelham, New York, at the time. And you know, and then he'd fly in the rest of the instruments on it. So I didn't really say like, oh, you know, I wanted to do this song, and the band never did the song you know in retrospect i think of you know yeah you know we should have done that song it would have been a good order for the first album for sure uh but i i i just wasn't thinking in those terms you know at all really I don't want to get in depth 
about your years touring and recording with Marshall. You know, I want the listeners to get the book, either the audio book or the, or the physical book and to read it or experience it. Um, what I want to find out is what kind of effect did those years have on you? Well, I mean, the way that it affected us was totally life altering. Right. And, and for a long time, I mean, there was a, like, you know, it was a, like a nice vertical climb. And then also, you know, when you're a kid and you have these visions in your head of these things, you know, if you signed a, a contract with a record company, I mean, that was like, like compliment to your, uh, um, you know, ability. And also, you know, like the, the gate to all of your uh, aspirations would open up. And, you know, and, and in a lot of ways, I mean, anything that I ever thought of doing as a, as a kid, I mean, we're totally exceeded by the things, you know, that really happen. It's, it's just, I mean, it's just so crazy, but I mean, I don't know when I listen to those records and think about, you know, performances or some of the things that I did on the road or something like that, I can think of, well, you know, I probably could have handled that a little bit better. Uh, but, but on the other hand, I mean, you know, I wouldn't trade that for anything. I mean, the, you know, the memories that, that I have of that and, and it was, it's so miraculous and crazy that, you know, that we actually got to make a bunch of records for a major label you know, go to Europe and play, you know, go around the United States a bunch of times and play. I mean, and if you've read the book, I mean, I, we had some really, really cool adventures. of your book my mythological odyssey you tell your story in a very unique way i mean it's it's linear but uh you tell it uh almost almost like reading entries in a diary uh and it has pictures and it has uh internet links and uh, but the one thing that i really got out of that book is there's doesn't seem to be a lot of animosity or anger um, or bitterness. Yeah, there's none of that. I think that if, if I would have tried to have written that book 20 years ago, it would have felt it would have been a different book, you know, but I mean, it, it, everything, you know, takes takes time to kind of, you know, digest and to put to put in perspective you know if you write something immediately after it happens you're going to get one version of it and, and then also you know if i think about it i mean you know i was a young like a young adult and then when i wrote it i <laughs> i was i wasn't a young adult for lack of a better term you were dismissed from marshall's band before the recording of good evening and while you were understandably upset um did it cause drama in the crenshaw household and and how long did it take to just sort of get over that well, I wouldn't say that it caused drama, you know, because all of us are kind of too, you know, well-behaved for that. And then also, he would never my brother ought to say, you know, like, hey, you fuck you, you know, and I never would have kind of out of it. Maybe, maybe. But, you know, because of it was so framed in such a different way, you know, there wasn't any, um, there wasn't any fruit, you know, in like, I mean, I didn't hate him. I mean, you know, it's like I, I didn't. I love my brother. You know, I mean, I, I love my whole family. I mean, so there wasn't any, you know, um, you know, that that wasn't really there. But my feelings were really, really hurt, and it took a long time. I mean, I, I wasn't even, 
I would say that making those solo records, you know, really helped me to reframe, you know, my life. And I will also say that, I mean, you know, when I asked, it, when I started making my own records and it was like, Marshall always played on my stuff. We so respected one another, you know, in our playing. It was, I don't know, you know, it's just one of those things. I think in some ways the uh, record company had always wanted them to play with other people, you know. They wanted to get rid of me and Kristen Hanna right away, you know, and replace us with other people. She's got secrets, but I could never find a clue. She's got everything I need and I want, but she's not you. She's got everything I need and I want, but she won't do. She's got everything I need and I want, but she's not you. After you left Marshall's band, it took another decade before you released your first solo album, full-length stereo recordings. Why did it take so long for you to release that album? I was doing gigs around town just as a drummer, just, you know, playing, you know, cover bands and stuff like that. But I mean, really, I I just wasn't ready to do it. I mean, you know, I I just didn't. Yeah. I mean, it's like my confidence had been completely pulled out from under the rug, you know, and uh, I was still doing a little bit of stuff, you know, with Jamie Hoover um you know trying to do stuff but i mean i was not enthusiastic about it and then you know my friend Stuart simon who i've done stuff with you know since i was about in eighth grade you know he and i started you know recording stuff and at first we just you know started recording songs you know like hank williams covers and stuff like that but then i started you know writing a little bit and getting you know more confident about it I just thought, all right, well, you know, let's just continue with this and try to put together a body of work. But, you know, I got to say that the best part of it was that, you know, I had lost contact with that community of people that I had known, you know, and the camaraderie, you know, of of, uh, being in that community. And so, you know, making that first record really, you know, it, it put me back in there, which, of course, really boosted my confidence, you know, and kind of made me, you know, inspired to do more art two of the songs are re-recordings of the tracks that were on the nine volt years and then you had covers and you had some more self pen material when you sat down and said i'm going to record an album is that when you wrote those or were those things that you had written over the years both you know so i mean there was some stuff you know that i've done with jimmy you know really early on that ended up you know on that record then also there was stuff like put the bottle down and I'm just trying to think of some other of, of the songs. I mean, you know, that I was inspired to write, you know, during during that time. You see this guy, this guy's in love with you. Yes, I'm in love. Who looks at you the On the album, you and Marshall recorded a version of This Guy's In Love With You, which leads me to my next question. Marshall's music seems closer to roots-based pop and rock. Your sound seems more influenced by, like, Phil Spector and Burt Bacharach. Is that a fairly accurate assessment? Well, you know, I would say the Burt Bacharach, you know, stuff for sure. Yeah, of course, I love those old Phil Spector records, but I also would say that I would know about them. But, you know, early on, Marshall used to collect singles. And he got on this thing where he would buy, you know, anything that he saw that was on the Phil Less label 
or any of those labels, you know, that, that he made. And this is like early 70s, 73, you know, where, you know, he, there was a place in Detroit called Maze Records that was just like you go to a place and it just had boxes and boxes and boxes of records and you just sort through them and, uh, you know, and find, you know, hopefully find, there wasn't any order to them. And the guy would always be re- reading Goldmine magazine, you know, like you know, some kind of trade trades magazine, you know, but, I got a story in the book. I mean, uh, and I'll, I'll just say, I'll tell a little bit of it, but he came into town and I wanted to record something with him. And uh, there was a ch- kind of a, this childhood thing about that song, this guy's in love with you. So we, uh, you know, so we recorded it. It was just a total winging it, no rehearsal, no thinking about the arrangement. You know, we went down and uh, he played a uh, Hoffner Beetle bass you know, and I played the drums and we cut the track and it wasn't cut to a click or anything. We just both were, you know, just had, we didn't even listen to the record or anything. You know, I mean, the, he, he had to write out the lyrics for me because I didn't know. You know I, I wasn't sure about some of them, but it, it was just, you know, one of those really fun, spontaneous, joyful events, you know. Yeah, it was like a fun, spontaneous art project. Not I'll just die. When I was at the, you know, like in high school or junior high school, I really, really loved um, Todd Rundgren, right? So I would say that, you know, like when I wrote Everyone's in Love with You, it isn't that I was trying to write a Todd Rundgren song necessarily, but that was definitely the way that I, you know, where, where I was coming from. But then when I think about it, a lot of the way that he writes, he's super influenced by, you know, Burke Backrack and Philadelphia Soul guys. So, um, you know, I mean, I think that I got to Burt Bacharach kind of indirectly. I bought that record of uh, Close to You by the Carpenters, you know, when it came out. But I think that was another one of those records that probably Marshall and Mitchell both, you know, like teased me mercilessly, you know, about, about this is like, you know, a sissy record. Victory Songs came out in 2000. Was this a whole new set of songs or still songs that you had been working on over the years? Like I wrote Victory Songs and that was, you know, that I knew that I was going to make that another record. And, I, you know, it's a weird thing in Michigan, you know, it snows in the winter and all that sort of stuff. And uh, so it was New Year's Eve. And we were walking around with our neighbors and there had been like a real big snowstorm, but it was warm out and uh, we were just having a great time, you know, walking around. And then it began to thunder and lightning, which is pretty rare in January. And we were just having like such a nice time. And I thought, you know, this is like a golden thing, you know, that's happening, you know, something that, you know, that we'll look back upon. And so that was kind of the inspiration, you know, for that song. And then, uh, okay, so it's got It's Okay to Be Sad is on there. And that was a song written by John Crenshaw. And he, I don't know even how I, I don't remember exactly how I heard that, but I just thought, I, you know, I want to cover this song. Um, when I Get the Bomb, I think was it was on that album. So there's two John songs on there. You know, I was in a band with John called The Tall Boys when uh, I lived in New York between Marshall's 
field day in downtown. There was a bunch of downtime. And so John and I started this band called the Tall Boys. And so we did mo- we did John songs, you know, and it was real fun. And uh, so he wrote that song about, you know, this guy who's trying to impress this girl. And he thinks, well, you know, if I if I only had a nuclear weapon, you know, that I would then uh, maybe she'll love me. You know, it was it was really fun to record it. Think of all the noise I can make and all the neat fires I can start. Was it fun to go back and reconnect with these folks that you had played with uh, earlier and some of the people that you met during your career? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, you know, of course. I, you know, I, I think about making a record is like, you know, having a dinner party or something. You know, it's like a lot of the fun is, you know, hanging out and communicating. I mean, there's the input that they give you, you know, musically, but then there's just also the kind of the spirit that they bring to it, you know? So on the first three albums, you know, this, uh, there was guys who played on that that I went to elementary school with, you know? I mean, there are you know, like guys who I have been in bands with, you know, for a million years. I mean, and definitely, in, in, you know, in, in junior high school. And I, you know, I really liked those guys. And I, you know, I mean, I knew that they could do the what I was asking them to do. And, you know, it was fun to cut the tracks. I, I never thought for a second that I was going to, like, you know, become a full-time musician again and, like, you know, make a living as a musician. So I just didn't approach it that way. I just approached it as let's have some fun and make, you know, the best records that we can make. And and, and, and that, that that's going to be the approach and, and not worry about it. So, I mean, I think that we made some good records and, you know, we certainly had a lot of fun. So check off those two boxes. 25 years ago, you were smart and beautiful. As I can see, you still got that going on. But I said that we were over and I callously turned my back and I walked away acting like I was being strong. Now 25 years have come and gone in my life's biggest regret I cannot seem to forget But I died to kiss you just once long and slow Like 25 years ago uh, it took another three years before Dog Dreams was released. Again, Jamie Hoover in the co-pilot seat, and you got uh, tracks with Don Dixon and and all these people you've worked with. But who are the Goulet brothers? <laughs> Me and Jamie, you know, of, of course, singing background vocals together. I, I'll tell you, I mean, you know, I would go down there and I would stay at, at their house, and they had a you know really nice house on a farm and stuff like that, and. Uh, um, and then Jamie and I would go to, you know, it'd be like we we're going to work in the morning and go to his, his studio. But I mean, it was totally, you know, I laid down acoustic guitars to a click track first and then put a reference vocal on it. And then we just kind of built on it from there, you know, and then in some cases we kept the acoustic, you know, guitar and then others we replaced it. But I mean, we just went crazy. I mean, I went, you know, like, just layer upon layer of percussion and, you know, and then, you know, uh, um, an analog synthesizer on, on uh, one of those songs and, you know, and then anything that 
any of us thought of, you know, just, you know, put on it. And then we ended up maybe, you know, subtracting things, but he's a really a good, fast engineer. I mean, so, you know, setting up for a track takes 15 seconds, you know, and then you're ready to go. So it was just spontaneous artistic creative joy well one thing i noticed with each of the albums is they kept getting better and more focused were you feeling more confident with each album you know more confident in being a basically the name on the album cover yeah there i mean there was that and then also i mean of course you know there's a real art you know in science you know to making records and although i was involved you know with record making with really you know people who are really was successful at it um you know lily white and dixon and Timo burnett and you know and all these people uh i mean i I would try to be at every session that i could you know to learn as much as i could about it but you know when you're doing it yourself and you're trying to be the be the artist you know and the producer i mean that's a that's a different skill too you know but i think that we got better at it i mean you know and i think that i got better at it and certainly now, I mean, you know, I think that I can make pretty good records, but I also know my limitations and I would never try to really do it myself. I'd always, I mean, like for the mixing, I'd always bring it up to somebody else. Because after a while, I mean, you know, you, it's hard to be objective about the what, what the what the best overall sound that can be made with the things that are, you know, recorded. So I, I really like to work with somebody, you know, who's made more records than I have, you know, and been in that position more. I mean, I, you know, I mean, ultimately, you know, final decisions are mine, but it's fun to watch someone who's really good at what they do. And then also with their working on your stuff. And, and it's like, wow, I wouldn't have done that. You know, that's a different approach, but man, is that cool? You know, I made this record called Atheist Christmas and I just sent the tracks to Dixon and I said, you know, can you mix these for me? And the way that he mixed them was way, way different, you know, than I would have done it. But it's like, man, that ended up really great, you know? So it's all about journeys and process and just trying to have good experiences. What if I'm really What if I'm here, but I'm not really here? I'm in the ground in my comfy with a spark left in my head What if I'm dead? Well, after Atheist Christmas, uh, which was an EP, your fourth album, essentially there was an 11-year span between uh, Dog Dreams and Friends, Family, and Neighbors, which actually lives up to the title, literally, because it brings a lot of these people together. Were these... Uh, new recordings specifically for this album or were these tracks that didn't make the other albums no they were all i i I don't think that there was anything that was old on it you know i mean i had i'd been unemployed and and actually that's how i made you know atheist christmas is i i lost my job i lost my job twice you know during the like the financial meltdown of the you know early 2000s and the first time it was like okay I mean, I'm losing my mind. I got to do something. And so I ended up writing and recording those, those four songs for Atheist Christmas, you know, putting those out. And then I lost my job again. And I started, and I was like, my uh, fetal position is uh, writing, right? So, um, you know, so I just started writing, you know, writing songs. And it was, I mean, it was totally the therapy that I needed. I mean, I was, I guess I was fairly optimistic that, you know, that the storm would end, but I did, you know, I mean, I just kind of decided, well, you know, 
uh, right now I, my day gig is uh, is you know is uh, on hiatus so i have this other job that i know how to do and so uh, I'll, I'll dig in with both feet so th- that's what i did well there's a great version of i'm so lonesome i could cry which is nearly a crenshaw brothers recording but it's actually a crenshaw brothers plus son recording how did that come about Ooh, my dad died and uh you know he really liked that song and at one point when i was a kid uh, we had this sony reel-to-reel tape recorder with sound on sound on it and i mentioned in the book quite a bit and uh he asked me to record a version of that song and i didn't you know and i didn't do it i mean but it wasn't like you know i didn't do it and it you know and he was pissed off about it or anything like that it's just one of those things that i never got around to and then when he died i wanted to record you know something uh you know i wanted to record that and so i knew that i wanted to get, to get john to sing and uh and marshall and dean on it and also i mean i had a r- arrangement you know in mind you know it's got almost the whole uh crenshaw family band I've never seen a night so long when time goes crawling by the moon just went behind the cloud to hide his face and cry Your next major project was your book, My Mythological Narrative, A Rock Odyssey. Where does the book's title come from? Well, I was trying to think of what it is, you know, and uh, I was thinking that, you know, like you wake up in the morning and you have like, what are the things that frame the way that you see yourself? And what are the things, you know, yeah, how is your world framed? And most, you know, now in my, I mean, I teach, that's what I, you know, that's what I do. I'm a, you know, I, I teach mostly skilled trades, you know, like uh, electricians and millwrights and stuff like that, you know, about robot programming and electrical troubleshooting and uh, automated vision systems and stuff. And, you know, everyone actually wants to, well, someone, you know, ask me something about, you know, like, where are you related to, you know, sort, sort of thing. Uh, you know, and I'll tell them, but I mean, it's weird when you have this other thing that really helped frame your world in a lot of ways. So I was trying to think of what is it that I'm trying, what is it that I'm trying to describe, you know, in this book. And of course, you know, I mean, I knew it was going to be a memoir, but it is. I mean, everyone has, you know, mythological stories about their family and about things that happen. And as I say in the intro in the book, I mean, sometimes you're the good guy, sometimes you're the bad guy, you know. And uh, but all of those things, you know, I mean, that's who you are. Those are the, 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 you know, the reasons why you are the way you are. Yeah, I thought that that was an honest, you know, title. A lot of people said, no, you got to have something about rock and roll. You know, so then I, I tagged on, you know, actually my mom came up with a rock odyssey because she thought that it was, you know, like an odyssey because it kind of came full circle and uh, it was an actual odyssey. The book is a very unique and original way of telling your story because you use uh, your own memories plus quotes from other people. You use internet links, uh, personal photos, ads, and more. Now, did you spend a lot of time thinking about how you wanted to present it or was that just how it came out? I never thought about it in any way but an audio book until 
as I found out that I had to release it as an ebook before I could do it as a uh, audiobook. So I did have a lot of pictures and I just started hunting for more. And so I, I cause I wanted, if I'm going to have a book, it's going to have tons of pictures in it. So I did that. And then the, uh, you know, the video links are pretty, you know, um, easy to come by and they were kind of a, you know, a, a, a no brainer. But then the other part of it was the paperback is that I never thought about having a paperback at all, you know, but I thought, well, you know, if I do this through Amazon, I can do it. And it doesn't even cost me a dime to do it. Or maybe it cost me like 20 bucks, you know, to, to do it. So, you know, why not? So I, I did have to grab our graphics guy, you know, at work and for the company that I work for, you know, to help me format it. I've, I've written a lot of, uh, and worked on, you know, a lot of books that are like technical stuff. So, I mean, I know, I know a fair amount about formatting, but, uh, you know, I let him have the, uh, or, you know, he, he did the final touches on it so that it would, you know, comply with their, um, standards. But yeah, as far as the, as far as the, the ebook and the printer, printed book, it re- really, they were just done as an, as an afterthought. I go, you know, go figure. But I mean, honestly, I just always thought about this as a an auditory thing. I was about the reaction to the book and and how did your brothers react to it well my family loves it of course because it's just kind of like a tribute to you know our, to our family you know in, in a lot of ways but I, but i also i mean i gotta say that i really tried to write it that that you know anyone who's in a family would be able to to you know uh, relate to the family dynamics you know within it and then also you know all of the millions of people who were in you know bands you know, especially during the 60s, 70s, and 80s. I mean, because I mean, you couldn't swing a dead cat without hitting somebody in a band, you know. Uh, you know, on, our, on, on the block that I grew up on, I mean, there was probably three bands, you know, the, the you know, practice, uh, you know, on the, on the street. So, I mean, every, you know, everybody got, you know, had guitars and stuff. So I, was, I really tried to, you know, um, make it so that they would be able to, you know, relate to it too. Because I guess, you know, the, the universal, the universality of it, you know. Are there any plans for a new Robert Crenshaw album? Uh, well, you know, I can't. I, I gotta say that it's not out of the question. I, you know, what I've been doing is I've been. I started taking piano lessons, and I thought, well, you know what? First off, my left hand sucks, so I should learn how to play the left. You know, get better in the in the left hand, and then also my technique. You know, just just totally in the toilet. So I got a good teacher, and she also she's a PhD in music, right? So she teaches piano on this. So she's also a vocal coach, and so I I thought, well, you know what? That if I want to do more stuff, this will give me some inspiration, and then plus it'll make it so that this record will be better than the last one, you know? So uh, yeah, I haven't written any songs for it, but I do have some ideas for some covers, which is always a good place to start. I should have done it right. I could have been strong I could have done right But I 
done wrong I done Now, how can listeners find out more about Robert Crenshaw, including ordering the book and the audio book and ordering the music? Well, there's a bunch of places that sell, you know, the audio book and the music. If you start with the Google, you know, I think that you'll be able to find everything that you need, you know, I mean, everything that you probably more than you ever wanted to know, you know, about uh, how to buy, you know, all the stuff uh, that uh, that I've put out, you know, over, over the years. I was just thinking about the, there's a couple of funny singles that I think that I put out. I think there was one about this one song called Dancing on Your Grave that didn't get much attention, but it's, but it's out there. And uh, there might be another one on there too. So anyway, there's, there's, a, there's definitely, you know, a cornucopia of stuff out there. That's it for this episode of Beach Blanket Fort Bingo. I'd like to thank my special guest, Robert Crenshaw, for hanging out here at the Blanket Fort. Remember to check out his My Mythological Narrative book, available as an audiobook, as an ebook, and a physical soft cover book as well. And remember to hang out after the credits to hear a snippet of his audiobook. Smell you later! My Mythological Narrative, written and narrated by Robert Crenshaw, featuring Don Dixon, Marty Jones, Mitch Easter, Mark Williams, Marshall Crenshaw, John Crenshaw, Gary Rinfrist, Bill Lloyd, Tom Teeley, and Graham Maybe. Original music by Robert Crenshaw, Kelly Ryan, Jamie Hoover, and the boys in the band. I rang the door and they buzzed me in. I went up into a crowded apartment full of magic books and pictures of Harry Houdini and some other of Mario's heroes. I didn't really understand what I was seeing at the time, but there was a whole world of magic and magic tricks that I have never contemplated before. I really wasn't even interested so much in magic. It was magic as far as I was concerned. It's funny the things you remember 30 years after the fact. But Mario's arms were shaved. I don't know, maybe his whole body was shaved, but I had never seen that before, and I didn't understand it. Maybe it made it easier for him to slip out of a straitjacket without pulling the hair on his arms and back. I can only guess. I was introduced to the crew, which consisted of another guy about my age, Mario's wife, an attractive woman who looked really great in a shiny costume, and some trunks of equipment. We then piled into a mid-1970s Dodge van and headed towards the West Side Highway. 
I felt pretty safe. Weekends at county fairs in upstate New York. I think the first was up by Lake George. I mostly helped set up a